Welcome to Life Church. My name is Dylan Johnston, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Life Church. And it's so good to be joining you today. I want to say thank you to Pastor Aaron for giving me the opportunity to speak. Uh, we are continuing our series, Summer at Life Church. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be continuing that series as well. You'll be hearing from myself and other staff pastors. And I just want to encourage you continue to be a part of what God is doing here at Life Church, whether in person or online. Especially, I don't want you to miss August 8th and 9th. The weekend of August 8th and 9th, Pastor Aaron will be bringing a, a special message and giving us updates about all of the building projects and the renovations that are going on across all of our campuses. You will not want to miss it, and you will have an opportunity that weekend to partner with us and see what God is going to do as we continue to expand and, and follow his leading and the vision that God has given to our pastor, Pastor Aaron. Today, as we continue our, our series, we are going to jump straight into John chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles or your smart device, you can go ahead and turn over to John chapter 6. And as you're turning there, um, I just want to ask you, has anyone ever asked you a question that they already knew the answer to? Uh, I get it. Listen, I think parents are notorious for this. Um, parents often ask you questions to, to their kids, to their students, to their children that they already know the answer to. Uh, my parents were, were the ones that I think they should win awards in, in this category of parenting. They would often ask me questions. They already knew what was going to be the answer. They, they'd ask me questions like, are those friends a good influence on your life? Full well knowing that those friends are absolutely nothing but bad influences on my life. My, my, my parents would ask me, hey, is that movie beneficial to your life? They wouldn't always ask me what it's rated. They wouldn't always ask me uh, if, it was, if it was a good or a bad movie. They would ask me, is it beneficial? And by the time I got done looking it up and showing them the parental guides, um, yeah, they knew the answer going into the question. They, they would ask me questions like, Dylan, is that moving you closer to God? Full well knowing that it was absolutely Absolutely, whatever I was doing or saying at the time was taking me further away from God. It's the same mindset I think teachers have when they ask specific questions to their students. It's the same mindset um, that, that sometimes we ask when we say, does this outfit make me look fat? Uh, we, we ask these questions that we already have a, a preconceived answer to. And, and the reason we ask these questions often is we either want people to hop on our side and agree with us or we want them to dissuade us from believing what we believe. So whether it's we don't want to think we look fat in the outfit, we ask for other people's opinion. Or we want people to agree with us, whether in our parenting or in our teaching, we ask the question we already have an answer to. I think Jesus, uh, out of everyone I've ever known and or read about, did this maybe more than anybody, was ask questions he already knew the answer to. In fact, in the four Gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which, as you should know, don't record every single exact detail that happened in, in the full life of Jesus. It records moments, right? So we hop in and out of moments. And in those moments, in the amalgamation of those moments, Jesus is seen asking questions somewhere around 340 times in those four Gospels alone. You, you can hop over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or, sto or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they are you not much more valuable? Valuable than they. Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? Jesus, full well knowing 
the answer to that question. In Mark chapter 3, verse 4, he's, uh, it says, Then Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? Again, Jesus already knew the answer. He's just presenting the question to challenge the mentality of the people of the day. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, it says, If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills to go look for the one who wandered off? You see, Jesus was constantly asking questions to his disciples, to the Pharisees, the religious people of the day. He was asking questions to those who wanted to come follow him. He was asking questions to those he would teach. Why? Because he wanted to challenge their thought process and bring them to the position where he was. Asking the question presented the ability for them to think through and process through what he was saying rather than just him tell them exactly what to do and what not to do. Here in John chapter 6, we have a moment much like that where Jesus is presented with this, this moment and he asks a question to the disciples that he full well knows the answer to. In fact, right off the bat, it shows that it, it, the, the verse already says that Jesus knew what he was going to do even though he asked him. Let's hop into John chapter 6 and read together today. John chapter 6 beginning in verse 5. It says this, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have a singular bite right? Like, that's insane. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Uh, before we go any further, I think it's important for us to just quickly section off the different characters in this story. First, we have the people. The people were hungry for, for an encounter with Jesus, but also they were hungry for food. They, they, they had a natural hunger. And in the Matthew version of this story, the, one of the other gospels, we can hop over to Matthew chapter 14. And it says this in verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Essentially in that version, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, there's no Taco Bell, there's no B-dubs, there's no Culver's. We got to send people home so that they can go get food for themselves and then we can reconvene another time. It was late. It had been a long day. In fact, we see in the story that Jesus had, had been retreating to get alone prior to encountering all of these people. And these people followed him to wherever he was going. And Jesus, with the compassion he had, began to heal and teach just for person after person after person. Until after it had been a very long time, the disciples recognized that it was getting late, that people were hungry. So you have the people, they were hungry. You have Jesus, the teacher. Uh, according to Matthew's gospel, he had been followed. He, he was attempting to retreat, as I just mentioned. He, he then had compassion and began to heal and teach. And then he tells the disciples to, 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 to meet their hunger. N not just their spiritual hunger, but their, their physical hunger. Jesus had been doing the meeting of the spiritual needs. He then commissions the disciples to do something about the physical. 
So then we get to the disciples. The disciples were the, the men who followed closely to Jesus for three, three and a half years. And they, they, would, they would walk with him and talk with him. They'd be in these, these moments where Jesus would be teaching huge crowds. But then they would get alone and they would hear the insider scoop, if you will. And Jesus would unload and unpack like, this is why I did what I did. This is how I said what I said. Do you not understand? Jesus would be alone with these guys and he'd be talking with them and training them and teaching them to, to rise up, to, to take their shot. When the moment came when Jesus would be elevated out of this world, that their time would come. And so here's the disciples in this moment. Can you imagine being in their shoes? Just picture it for a moment. You see thousands of people, 5,000 men plus the women and children out on this hill in, in this remote place. And you can tell people they're hungry. You know, you know when people are getting hungry. Some of them get hungry. Some of them get hangry. Is that angry hunger? They, they just start wanting to fight people because they're hungry. And, and so you, you can tell when they're getting hungry and you're like, hey, Jesus, if we don't get everybody out of here, we're going to have some, some hunger fights and there's going to be some unrest and people aren't going to listen to you teach any longer. Kind of like some people do on a Sunday morning when they're ready in the second service just to go to lunch, right? Like it, it's, it's that, that hunger. They're ready. They need to eat. Jesus, let them go. And Jesus, looks back at you and Jesus would look back at the disciples and say no 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 no. you give them something to eat you give them something to eat you're, you're doing what you're supposed to and Jesus says this they don't need to go away you give them something to eat the challenge, the, the impossibility of actually completing what Jesus is saying here is so vast that immediately one of the disciples pops up thinking much like I would, thinking, Jesus, there's absolutely no way. The financials of what you're saying don't add up. The spreadsheet that I've accumulated and accrued and that I've been working on doesn't make sense for us to be able to feed everybody a full meal, much less even a bite. Like, Jesus, we can't do it. We, we, can't, we can't feed all of these people. What are you thinking? Another disciple pops up and says, there is yet one boy with some loaves of bread and some fish. Which brings us to the last kind of character in this narrative, the young boy. He didn't have much. His mom had probably packed him a small meal for the day, knowing that he'd be gone most of the day and he'd return in the evening. So he has a lunch, a few pieces of bread and a few pieces of fish. And I can only imagine that this boy, like the rest of the people out there that day, was hungry, was ready to eat. And some disciple, some middle-aged man comes up to him and says, hey, could I have your lunch? First of all, that's kind of like a bully tactic, right? Like, but he says, can I have your lunch? Jesus needs it. I can only imagine initially feeling a little bit of pushback. And then when you hear that Jesus needs your lunch, you're like, yeah, 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 take the lunch. What I love about this young boy is that he, what we see here in scripture is that he quickly gave over his lunch so that Jesus could do the impossible with it. I want to keep reading now that we've got those four characters and then we'll pull a few things just for us that I believe God spoke in this text and he also is speaking to us today. In verse 10, the story continues, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves that the boy had given them, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Note, it's not he distributed um, just, just portions. It's not he just distributed a little bit. It's he distributed as much as they wanted. 
He did the same with the fish. And when they, had all, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Know also that at the end of that, they gathered 12 full baskets of, the, of, the, of bread that was left over. One for each of the disciples there that day that helped pass out the bread to the people on the hill. Ultimately, regardless of the perspective, from the people to the disciples to the young boy who had five loaves and two fish, ultimately the the moral of the story, the, the purpose of the story is that it's all about the provision of Jesus. It's not about can the disciples accomplish this. It's not about the boy and could he do anything great with his lunch. It's not even about the people and how great they are for being hungry for Jesus that they would forego a meal. But really this story comes all to a head because it's about the provision of Jesus. It's like in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 where it says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or imagine. It's like in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 where it says God will provide all of your needs according to his great riches and mercy. It's about the provision of Jesus. And the leading question he presented to the disciples of what will you do, give them something to eat, was simply an invitation for them to be a part of a miracle that he was about to produce for all of these people to partake in a meal and a feast. Today, I think there's three things that we can pull from this text. And the first one is this, God can do more with a little than you could ever do with a lot. I think I need to repeat that because I think sometimes we can easily get caught up trying to work what we've got rather than surrender it to God. God can do more with your little than you can do with a lot. In your hands, it's a lunch. In God's hands, it's a feast. In your hands, it's five loaves and two fishes. In God's hands, it's take as much as you want, 5,000 plus people, and we're going to have food left over more than we even started with. In your hands, it's just a little, but in God's hands... Ooh, somebody. In God's hands, it's a, it's, a, it's a miracle. You see, that's the difference between what happens in our hands versus what happens in God's hands. When we surrender what we've got in our hands to God, he can do more than we could ever imagine. As Ephesians chapter 3 stated that I just read a moment ago, he can do exceedingly abundantly greater than our imaginations could ever take us. God can do more with a little than you and I could ever do with a lot. For the disciples in this story, The point of feeding the 5,000 was that there were 12 baskets left over. Through the miracle, Jesus is saying, if you go ahead and you surrender the little or the nothing which the disciples had, the nothing that you have, if you surrender that to me, I will provide for you, I will take care of you, and I will make it work. If you surrender your life, Jesus was saying to the disciples, and I believe that he's saying to us, I will provide. What he's saying to the boy in the story is if you give me your little, I will do what, what no one could ever do. If you give me your little, I will not just provide for you, but I will provide through you. If you give me the little that you have, I will do something amazing that you can be a part of. What I've learned in my life is that what you hold tightly to is, ends up becoming a lid on your life. What I mean is this, if you hold tightly to the gifts in your life, If you hold tightly to the talents in your life, if you hold tightly to the blessings in your life, eventually those things that you're holding on to become a lid that you can't grow past. But the difference is what God is calling us to do is to live an open palm 
palms up lifestyle where we surrender and we get blessed and we give blessings and we get blessed and we give blessings and we get blessed and we give blessings. And I know that can sound like a broken record, but I think our entire life as Christ followers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our whole destiny, our whole purpose is to receive blessing and give blessing. And that it's a cycle we should never break until we die. We get blessed, we give blessing. That it's, it's an open-handed lifestyle versus the closed-handed lifestyle our world presents us. Are you willing? Are you willing to bless others? Are you willing to let blessing flow through you? Are you willing to see what God can do with the little you have rather than trying to accomplish it on your own? Are you willing to trust in him and see, hey God, what do you want to do with the little that I have? I present this question before we move on to our next point. Are you holding on to anything a little too tightly? Is there anything that maybe you're clenching in your fist that if you would release, God could do the miraculous through. The second thing we see in this story is that God often uses people to perform miracles. God often uses people to perform miracles. Can I just help you out for a moment? God has positioned you where you are in your life on purpose for a purpose. God has a reason that you are where you are in your life. God has a reason that your job is the way it looks like today. God has a purpose for the way your home looks like today. And it might not be what you dream. It may not be what you would hope for. It may be the worst possible situation known to you at this time. But could I just help you out, that God will work all things to the good of those who love him, that, that God is working in and through your situation to bring about hope if you will let him. Could it just be that you are right where you are supposed to be so that God could work a miracle through your life in somebody else's life? I think sometimes we negate the fact that God is looking to use you and looking to use me to perform a miracle in people's lives. The disciples that day had no intention of being the ones that were going to carry a miracle to thousands of people. And yet God, Jesus, Jesus himself asked them, he said, what are we going to do? You give them something to eat. They had no intention of being the solution that day. They had already tried to write the people off. They had already tried to send them home. And Jesus says, no, I want to use you to carry a miracle to the people today. Perhaps God wants to use you at your workplace to bring peace to someone who has been praying for peace for weeks on weeks on weeks. And there's a, a word, a, a, a sentence, a paragraph that God drops in your heart that God wants to use you to bring that peace to the person that's been praying for it for weeks. Perhaps, perhaps there's someone that's hurting and broken that you come into contact with on a daily basis. And God wants to use you to restore hope to a hopeless soul. Uh, those are miracles. I do want you to understand. I do want you to get that is the miraculous. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to use you to do the miraculous. He's blessed you with gifts and talents so that you can bless others. He's prepared you in such a way so that you can bless others. And the question is, will you do that? You see, even with the small lunch from this young boy, God did the miraculous. God made the impossible become possible. Even if your hands are empty like the disciples were, you can still be a carrier of a miracle to those that you come into contact with. The question is, are we open? You see, you can't, you can't be a carrier of a miracle if you're holding on tightly to that which you have had. But God not only wants to do a lot with your little, God wants you to be a carrier of a miracle. The question is, are you willing to carry a miracle to your school? 
Are you willing to carry a miracle to your workplace? Are you willing to carry a miracle to your unbelieving spouse or child? Are you willing to be a carrier of a miracle to the Starbucks or to the the Walmart? Are you willing to be a carrier of a miracle of peace, of hope, of joy, of restoration, of a new life, of life fulfilled? Are, Are you willing to be a carrier of a miracle wherever you go? The disciples had no intention of it, but Jesus utilize them to carry a miracle to the people that day. The third thing we see here is that God not only provides for your needs, he fulfills your soul. God not only wants to provide for your needs. And for God, it's not about you getting a, a, a two-car, a two-story house with a two-and-a-half-car garage, two-and-a-half kids, a white picket fence, and a yellow labradoodle to tackle you the moment you get home from work. For God, it's not just about what you can get, but it's about fulfilling your soul. Listen, I need us to go to the end of this chapter, John chapter 6, and just see the conversation that Jesus is having with some of the disciples following this miracle, following being being separated from these people, what Jesus says to these disciples is absolutely mind-blowing, and I think it would help us in this and understand what Jesus' whole purpose was here in this chapter. At the end of the chapter, in, in verse 47, it says this, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Quick connection, Jesus had just multiplied bread and fed thousands, and he now states, I am the bread of life. Continuing in verse 49, your ancestors ate the manna or bread in the wilderness, yet they died. Meaning it just fulfilled a physical need, it did not do anything spiritually for them. In verse 50 it says this, but here is the bread, he's talking about himself, that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat of and not die. What Jesus is stating there and what you can read if you read the whole chapter is Jesus saying, yes, I can provide bread for their physical needs, but also I am the bread for their spiritual needs. Yes, I can take care of their hunger, but I also can take care of their souls. Yes, I can take care of their lives and their life expectancy here on earth, but I can also take care of their eternity. Yes, I want to care for their immediate needs, but I also want to care for their eternal. What Jesus is saying is this is greater than just a provision here on this earth. This is about your eternity. This is about your soul. This is about your spirit. And he can provide for all of it. What I love about Jesus is essentially he's saying it's nothing's too big. I can do it all. I've got you covered. I've got the physical and I've got the spiritual. I can do it all. I am the bread and I bring the bread. I got the bread. I multiply the bread. I am the bread. I can give you eternal life and I can help your life here on this earth earth. Uh, Listen, I love this because it shows me that Jesus, yes, he came to fix their their, their hunger, but he didn't come just to save them from starvation. He came came to save them from damnation. Jesus came for a bigger cause than just filling our bellies with food and filling our pocketbooks and our bank accounts with money. Jesus came to save souls. That's a big revelation for us to transition to. Jesus came to save souls. Don't mistake your blessing for an eternal bounty in heaven. Don't mistake what God has blessed you with here on this earth in the physical for what God wants to do in your soul. Essentially, here it goes. We'll we'll always have earthly needs. 
We're going to run out of money for this or have to go over there, get a second job to do that. We're, we're going to have to find a way to save money to send a kid to college. We're going to have to, to find a way to buy a new car when the, the AC goes out and, and this breaks and that. We're, we're going to have to find a way to fix some of the things in our life. We're always going to have earthly needs. And while God can help with those and bring miracles in those, the greatest miracle God wants to do is not in our physical needs but in our lives. The greatest miracle God wants to do is not in our bank accounts, but in our souls. The greatest miracle God wants to do is not here on this earth, but for our eternity. The question is, where is your soul? Have you partaken not just of the physical bread he's provided for you, but of the eternal bread of life who Jesus claims to be? You see, a full heart is greater than a full bank account. An overflowing soul is greater than the American dream. So I want to close today just simply by asking you some questions in the same manner that Jesus would, I assume, and I read in Scripture. And the questions I want to ask you is this. Will, will you live an open-hand lifestyle? Are you willing to carry miracles to others? Will you depend on God, not just for your earthly needs, but also for your eternity? For, for if you will uh, answer these questions, I believe what God wants to do in and through your life is absolutely astronomical. That the limits and lids that you could place on your own life could be ripped off and God can do the impossible through you. I believe that God is probably speaking some leading questions to our hearts today. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's pray. Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us. And God, as you ask us these personal leading questions that move us from a, a place of, uh, of being comfortable to, to actually taking action, God, I ask that you would probe us and, and change us and speak to us, that your heart would move our hearts to a place of, of doing what you have called us to do, that, God, we would live open-handed. We would not be closed-fisted and holding on too tightly and, red, and white knuckle gripping that which we've been given, but, God, we would open up and we would release what you blessed us with. God, I ask that you would enable us to carry miracles to people wherever we go and that we would be willing to step out of our comfort zone to see other people's lives radically changed. And Lord, last I ask that you would fill our souls, that it wouldn't just be about our physical needs. And as we do get sometimes stressed out about that, God, I ask that you'd bring us peace and that we would feel you working in our spirit and in our soul and that our lives would be forever changed, not just in the moment, but for eternity. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we give you all glory and honor and praise. We celebrate you today in Jesus' name. Amen.